This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not. Because they're real. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Water Cooler Talk, the number one rated podcast by moms. And to prove it to you, I brought in a mom into the studio today to give her seal of approval to that fact. Joining us today for her first official time on the podcast and to lead the charge for our Mother's Day themed episode, my mom, Tammy Krause. Mom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Do you Are you approving the fact that this is the number one rated podcast by moms? This mom, for sure. Definitely. Oh, okay. I was so hoping I'm, you would lie a little bit and get the audience excited. But I think everyone's right. it's everyone's number one podcast. I'm thinking oh, they're waiting you. with bated breath to for every episode to come out, just like I do. That's how it's done. Uh, for those listening at home thinking this is a subtle reminder that Mother's Day is fast approaching, well, it is. But more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk, the podcast whose main mission is to connect the world in conversation by taking the strangest the weirdest, the quirkiest, most bizarre, and most unbelievable real-life news stories, and opening up a discussion about some of the ideas presented in those articles. In today's episode, we will discuss a father creating an app to text his son, a can of ravioli causing distrust in Chicago, and how parents respond to gender nonconformity. If you want to share a strange and interesting local news story yourself, comment your thoughts on one of today's stories, or share how much you would ransom your mom for. You can email us at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram at Water Cooler Talk Pod. How are you feeling about being ransomed for a billion dollars? You've talked about that you would kill me for money before. I've never said I would kill pot- you. I said I would give you away for a billion dollars. Well, that's... Who knows what would happen with you. That's still, I think that the line has already been drawn. You've crossed it. You would give me away for money. You have to think about the future of your family. That could provide for generations. Well, where are you giving me away to, and what are they know, going to do with me? Whoever has a billion dollars. Well, how is that going to benefit me? It'll benefit you and the generations after. Kind of being kind of selfish there, mom. Oh, Adam. All man. right, are you ready to jump into your first news story of the day? Let's do it. This is from news.com Australia. Have you ever been to Australia? That's one of my places I'd love to go. That's one of my dreams, my goals. All right, this is Dad creates apps that locks your child's phone until they answer your text. Father Nick Herbert has created an app called Reply ASAP that allows parents to contact their children by overriding the silent function on their phone and locking down all other functions on their kid's phone until they're able to respond to the parent's message. Though it can be used as an alternative for messaging apps, Nick said it should mostly be used to send emergency texts between child and parent. He states, It is key to discuss with the child that they understand the reason for having it. It is not punishment or a tool for tracking them, nor will it remotely lock or freeze their phone. It is simply a means of allowing them to carry on using their phone however they want, but give a means of getting them an important message when you need to. Uh, Mom, you are a parent, I hope. I don't know. I've never seen my birth certificate. Um, I am a child without a child, hopefully. So we have two very different perspectives on an app like this. How do you view this app as a parent? Two different ways I'm thinking about this is depending on the age of the child, that's a different factor. And then also um, who's paying for the phone. That's a couple different things that would play into my thought process. So if it's a child that is just using a phone to have communication with their parents, it might be a okay way to go. I'm not, I think it still sounds like a little bit something that I wouldn't do because it sounds a little censorship because my dear children don't respond to my texts all the time and I wouldn't think of tying down your phones. Although it sounds kind of like a good idea sometimes. But 
Um, if I'm also paying for the phone, that gives me a little bit more say in what's going on. But there's just sometimes you just can't answer your phone. It's just the way it is. Your phone is dead or you just it's not that you're ditching your parents. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But sometimes I think there is valid reasons why they're not responding to you. And if a parent is going over the top by um, shutting everything down, it could prevent you from having to do something that you really need to do when you are able to get back to your phone. So in all aspects, I it's not something I would probably do because I barely know how to put apps on my phone as it is. But some families, it might be a good option. I think that's a very good point. I like how you talked about how like the age, the difference in a child's age may affect how people see this and also if they own the phone or not. Because I don't, I pay for my own phone. So to have you be able to put something on my phone that can control like, how you contact me would be like a little like, oh, maybe you don't trust me that much and be like kind of a hit or miss in our relationship. Uh, But I also do understand where Nick is coming from, the father on like, I don't have children and we've talked about this before. So I don't understand the feelings of not knowing where your kids may be, even if you haven't talked to them for a little bit. Like I had mentioned to you, like if I didn't talk to you for a week, that would be fine with me because I don't have a child myself. So I don't know that misconnection. But to you, you're like, oh, I want to talk to you every once in a while. And I just don't have that same understanding as you do. So to understand somebody from Nick's perspective, that's like, hey, I just want to know where you are and kind of know if you're safe. I think it's one of those cases where if a parent and you can speak to this as a parent, if they don't know where their kid is, like, I feel like they sometimes go to the worst thought, like, oh shit, am I have to save my kid Liam Neeson style and try to get him back? But that's just my perspective. I would love to hear your perspective as a parent on that. There was one time with the specific um, host of this show that we weren't unable to reach him for a, probably much a whole day. Um, between How me and old him. was I? You were older. Me and your dad, neither one of us could reach you. And it was terrifying. We didn't know what was going on. And... Um, so yes, for that point, it is uh, great. Or if you are have plans to meet your child or pick them up somewhere or and they're not showing up, it would be a great way to be able to contact them. But I think the option of just texting them first or trying to actually call. I know you I know sometimes the young her generation doesn't actually use their phones to talk on the phone. They just all texting. But if there's set plans and you haven't shown up or acknowledged that the plans are in effect, I could see where this could be an option where I need an answer whether to come drive an hour to get you if you're not even going to be there or you're delayed. But you pointed out that you are the owner of your own phone. So what right would I have to do anything with your phone technically if you're paying for it that's your responsibility no and that's a that's a good example on how you mentioned there was a day that you guys freaked out i have no idea what day you're talking about but you i think you were on a canoeing somewhere or you didn't have your phone or you didn't have service or something and after the fact it was not a big deal of you were just doing something but you didn't have service or you didn't know how to get a hold of us but it was a very tense, probably six to eight hours that we couldn't. Yeah, interesting, because I have no idea what day you're talking about. Oh, I, I yelled at you <laughs> severely when you got home, so I think I think you might have even gotten grounded. Maybe I blocked it out of my mind. Yeah. So. Uh, and, but then also to the like not replying all the time, I think that's a very common thing for people my age and the younger generation is like you'll get a message coming in and actively want to respond to it but maybe you're not in the right energy to respond to it maybe you're just like oh i have i'm thinking about other things it doesn't 
it's important. That message is important, but it doesn't take precedent over what I may be doing in the moment. But it's not. I know it's very new in like newer relationships when you text someone and they don't respond right away. You're always thinking like, oh, what, what do they not like me? Do they not want to talk to me? So I definitely, I definitely get that point. But also from the other side, it's like. Sometimes you don't actively mean to ignore a text or not respond. It's the case of when you get that text, you're not in the right whatever you know energy space to respond to that text. You're like, oh, I'll get to it later, and then life gets in the way, and you kind of just forget about it. So I don't mean to like forget to text you back. It's just sometimes you forget about it, but I'm not like forgetting about you. I'm just there's so many other things going on in your life that you kind of just are like, oh. And I'm not someone who uses my phone a bunch to text. Like I have a pay per text plan, and my plan is very cheap because I don't text a lot or I don't use my phone in that capacity a lot. So it's kind of interesting to see this situation from both sides. So you have to pay for every text I send you? Yeah. You didn't tell me that. Well, I, I tell everyone that. I'm like, hey, don't text me. Are you just making that up? No. But I think there's so many other apps out there. That's the reason why I'm totally fine with it, because there's so many other... Like, I can't send photos or receive photos, but there's like Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp. There's t- so many other apps that can do those things for free. So it's like, why should I spend my money on that kind of thing? Well, back in the day, this will date me a little bit. I also had to pay for each incoming and outgoing text. And that was when texting was kind of new to my generation. So, But I would write something and then someone would write me back the letter K to say they got it. That was 25 cents. I'm like, you don't need to do that. So I'm not one of those ones that I will respond with just a letter K. Or I use full sentences. I use capitalization. Say the word for me, capitalization. Capitalization. Uh, punctuation. And I try to spell everything correctly. So are you getting charged for every letter I send you? No, just every text. Oh, I got to be more careful. I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that before. Let's see. You learn something new when you're sitting in a basement studio. A soundproof basement. Yeah. But I also have had this recent conversation where people will send you a message and expect for you to respond, but in your mind, you don't think you have to respond. It's like not texting is one of those things where you can't always pick up on the social cues you could in a conversation. So it's like, oh, you may want me to respond to this text, but I see it as, oh, okay, that's just a statement kind right. of deal. So that's very that's very fair too. And I I tend to put a lot in a text. I will ask a lot of things. So for example, I asked you if you had any birthday plans. We're taping this the day before Adam's birthday. And Adam responded to something else, but you didn't respond about if you had birthday plans. So this today I said, Hey, do you got any birthday plans? And you thought that you'd responded to me. So we do that a lot between me and you. I yeah. Noticed. And I think I that. actually I think there is a study out there somewhere. I'll have to find it and link it to this uh, episode. But that Men are more likely to, like if you ask them a bunch of questions in a text, men are more likely to only respond to one question from that text. And then like not ignore the other questions, but kind of block them out. Yeah, I can can see that. I mean, and that's fair. And I tend to try to get everything in one text when, but now I'm going to have to because I didn't realize that you have to pay for that. That's just... Well, I mean, I can... It's it's not a lot of money. Well, I <laughs> know, very cheap but... per text. I know you. I don't think you would have spent a lot of money on something like that, but I didn't realize that, so it's something new, so... But all in all, with this app that the father Nick put together, I think it's very good, eventually one day when I have kids, I think it's very good in a emergency setting. If it's that case where I was not away for a day and didn't 
respond to my phone to have that option to be like, hey, we haven't heard from you. We have no idea where you are. Just respond to us real quick. I think that's where it can be very useful. And I think most people will use it in that capacity, but I do think there are very controlling parents out there. Like you and dad were very open to what me and Josh were able to do in our lives. You weren't as controlling as other parents could be. So I think in a case of like, if this was around when we were growing up, you guys would use it in more of an emergency case rather than to try to control where we are or when we respond. Well, as the father mentioned in the article, if you can have that conversation with your kids and say, this is why we have this for these circumstances and we're just not going to, and you have the trust, if you have the trust there, um, I think that's a huge part of it as well. So if you have that conversation and say, this is why that we put this app on your phone. This is why we need it not to punish you, as he mentioned. So I can see that working totally as well. Parents just want to be in touch with their kids. Like yeah. you just took off across the country and I'm like, please check in once in a while. And you're like, oh, I'm like, just please check in to make sure you got to your first destination. And yeah. then I was pretty cool with that after that. I, Whenever you would respond, that was fine or whatever. But parents in those circumstances, we just want to make sure you're OK. We'll even take the little letter K text back to us. It will work out just fine. So parents just want to know that you're OK. And we want to keep a connection with our kids. Sometimes when you grow up, yeah. as Adam will be 24 tomorrow, um, sometimes you just feel like you've kind of lost that. And I mean, I'm used to seeing you every single day, getting you off to school, seeing you at dinner every night. So that's why I said about the age of the children. If it's if it's small children and your phone is given to them just for emergency situations, this would be a great app for that because that's exactly what that phone is designed for. Now, you're 24. I'm not going to be able to do anything with your phone, but we still do like to hear from our kids. Yeah, and I'll definitely let you know how my drugs and hookers and cocaine is going. <laughs> uh, just a transition to our final question here. Uh, one question I think is important to ask, and I'm curious to know your opinion. Uh, what rights do parents have over their children? In a previous episode with Sam Rosemark, you may know him, uh, we had a story that discussed the French government fining parents for posting social media content that was detrimental to their kids' future. So as a parent yourself, what does it mean to be a good parent? Where's the line between giving them too much freedom or being too restrictive? Or is there a universal line or is it more case by case? So um, being a parent doesn't come with an instruction manual. So I think each parent has to make up their own way of how they're going to deal with parenting. I'm of the mindset that I don't really care if you're my friend. <laughs> I'm your mom. Um, there's a lot of parenting that's going. They want to be friends. And then that is a blurry line. A good saying is, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. There has to be that you have to have respect each way. Two-way street, of course. But too much of the be, trying to be friends, trying to keep them happy, not having any disappointments in their life, I don't think that's going to get them far. I believe you have to show your children that, yes, life is good, life is bad, and it's how you react to it and how you bounce back. It's not how everything is when everything's going well and we're giving you gifts and money and letting you use the car. And it's about, hey, we don't we can't make the car payment this month or we can't do this. And how do we all pull together as a family? So I think good parenting, I don't I think that's an obsolete term. I don't think every parent, of course, is going to think they're a good parent. That's just what we do because we're parents. Our kids turn out good for you, in fact. But I don't think the need to be a child's friend is any favor to them. I believe that you have to have that line 
And sometimes your kids don't like you very well. And sometimes you know that they don't like you very well. And you just live with it because that's the way it has to be at that moment in time. But you hopefully you've given them enough um, tools and things in their life that they can come through in the pinch and do you proud. Just like having a son that has his own podcast. That's pretty darn amazing. Well, what a quote. What's, that's very good advice. And I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. I yeah. still like that one. No, uh, I'm kidding. But no, I think that's very true. I think I can make friends with anyone. I don't need a friend. I don't need you to be my friend. I need you to be my parent and help me get through life. Like that's, friends don't do that. I mean, they help you somewhat, but I would love, you know, I love for, we have a very good connection. Like we have very good conversations, but I also know when time comes that you're going to be my mother and you're going to help me in that motherly way. And I know I can depend on you to do that. Whereas with friends, you can't always depend on them. But I know when it comes to you, I'm like, my mom's always going to be there. And I know if I need something, boom, she'll be the one who can help me through it. Well, and you get to pick your friends. You don't get to pick your parents. That's so very true. You just have to, you are given the cards that you're dealt with and you deal with it. And I think it's the same way. I think we have a very good communication. I think we have a good relationship. And I believe I was your mom first and your friend second. And I think that's a huge benefit of our relationship and why we are still talking. Oh, <laughs> when yeah, you're, when you're, Yeah, exactly. So uh, I would like to welcome to the show my mom. Mother Tammy Krause, you have pre- you had previously guessed it on a very 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 early episode of the podcast when it was in its infancy uh, and didn't know what it wanted to be. But like you, I have raised this little baby podcast into the adult podcast you see before you today in all of its majesticness, and here it is. What's the experience been like from that very first episode to all the way to this episode so far? You're only one story in. Well. For the first podcast, I will tell you that we sat in a couple folding chairs in the middle of my basement, and now I'm sitting in this beautiful studio that was created. Just the physical aspect of it is amazing. Just listening to the podcasts over the time that they've been growing and... I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Finding finding their place in the finding world. Finding its voice. Yeah, finding its voice. That's a very good way to say it. Um, the discussions have become deeper, and that's I'm nervous sitting here today because I was like, before, I just had to guess which news story was fake. That was how the first um, podcast went. Now it's like, these are like deep things you asked, you're asking me, and but it's good because that's well, we're what hoping the, to make these deep conversations more digestible and easier to talk about. Like the last story... As far as talking about control over kids, I mean, that's people get uncomfortable talking about that. And we had a very positive discussion about that. Uh, But mom, I think it's time to be honest with one another. And I want to ask you this very important question. You have two sons. Who is your favorite and why is it not my brother? I knew that was coming. I knew that question was coming. I could just tell from your eyes. Um, There is not any favorites. There's certain children that you like at certain times better than others, but there are never any favorites. It's kind of like I own two motorcycles. They're both the same motorcycle pretty much, but one of them I can do different things with. I enjoy it more for different reasons. Um, that's pretty much kind of the way with my kids. I just, there's certain times that if I need something, I know which son to go to. Um, they both are going to put me in the nursing home at an early age from what they've told me. So I don't think I can trust either of you with that aspect of my life. But yes, I enjoy both of you the same. And there's 
once you become a dad, you'll understand. There is no favorites. I just want to point out to the audience, my mom is wearing a shirt that says, Adam is my favorite son. So <laughs> just letting you guys know. Uh, on a more important note, since this is our Mother's Day episode and I have no opportunity in my life to be a mother unless science changes that some way, why do you think being a mother is so special? I've just become a grandmother recently and everyone I knew being a grandmother in the big aspect of life was probably quite wonderful. But until it happens to you, you don't realize you can't put in words how great it is um, just seeing your son holding their son. So motherhood is pretty much the same way. I always had heard that it was this wonderful thing and you'll hold this baby in your arms and your whole life will change. And I was like, sure, really, really. And it's true. It's really true. And it's amazing. As I say, Adam's going to be 24 tomorrow. I don't know where those years went. It's just a blink of an eye. And to see this little boy that needed me to do everything for him to be this young man that technically doesn't need me in his life, but still wants me in his life is pretty overwhelming. So motherhood is the best job I've ever had. Cheapest pay, not no pay. Long hours, but it's been the best job I've ever had. Yeah, good point. And finally, to put you on the spot in front of water cooler talks, mostly European, and for some reason the state of Virginia, but we still love those listeners' audience. Is there anything you regret not having done as a parent while we were growing up? That's a very good question. I guess, and what, looking back as I'm getting older now, just time, time spent with my family and um, work was seemed to be important because we needed it to pay the bills. But looking back, the time, you can't ever get the time back. And I'm poorer now anyway. So what did it really do for me, that part of it? So um, just spending time doing adventures, going places, seeing things, traveling. I wish we would have traveled more. That would have been, I mean, we did our fair share of traveling, I have to say, but I wish we would have done more things as a family. So you'd have some more family memories. Just, I guess, the spending the time together and making memories. And I don't know, because I'm talking to you and your brother. Sometimes it seems like I did nothing right. <laughs> so it's uh, um, going back. Uh, hopefully you guys have good memories of growing up and your younger years and even now into your adult years. So no, I think you did a good job. I think I like the person I am today. Who knows what Josh thinks, but that's his opinion. All right, Mom, are you ready to jump into some spicy meatballs? Let's go. All right, this is from Block Club Chicago. Suspicious object leads police to shut down State Street, but it was just a can of Chef Boyardee on wheels. After a Chicago officer noticed a suspicious object in the middle of a downtown street, police cleared the entire 200th block of South State Street before learning the object was a can of Chef Boyardee attached to skate wheels, which had been built by a DePaul University student for a design class and placed in the street for a photo shoot. The student, only identified as a 19-year-old man, was ticketed for disorderly conduct and for breach of peace, which can carry a $500 fine. Mom, in the current timeline we've somehow fallen into, are the Chicago police justified in their reactions to this lonesome Chef Boyardee can? Unfortunately, they probably are, just with all the different... Maybe they were thinking it was a bomb. Maybe they were thinking... I can see in our society this these days that, yes, it probably was something to be concerned about. In the olden days, I'd just be like, oh, my kids have a good creative attitude and they made something really cool, but... Um, at this point in time in our society, I think they probably did have a right to be a little bit concerned. Yeah, that's very true. And looking at the picture you have in front of you, and I'll post it on our Podbean page for our listeners to see, but it does look very suspicious. And it's one of those things where it's better. I mean, I know people are making fun of it on Twitter now saying they wasted all this manpower and resources, 
But I think looking at it, it looks like a bomb somebody could just rig up in their garage or something. And I think it's better to spend the money and be safe rather than not spending the money, taking a chance, and having people potentially be injured or killed, possibly. Uh, but the reason I wanted to bring the story to the forefront with you as a guest is because you have been an adult for pre and post 9/11. You've kind of you had the opportunity to experience both of those times in American history with a fully formed understanding of life and the world around it. So, in your experience, how has our perception of suspicion changed from pre to post 9/11, and should not our reactions like the Chicago police justified? It's a good question. I do think that. Everything in perception has changed since 9/11, and things that you wouldn't have blinked an eye at before, as a Chef Perry decan on roller skate wheels in the middle of the street,、um, would bring suspicion. And we don't know what to be scared of anymore. We don't know what to be suspicious of anymore. And if it is ignored, and it turns out to be something that's been could be a bomb and cause a lot of problems, then my aspect in life or looking at life is always. Might as well just take a peek at it. It's not going to hurt anything. So I do understand that there was man hours involved in this, but in this post nine eleven world we live in, I think it's better to be safe than sorry, because you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. If they did it, now people are saying that they used manpower. If they wouldn't have done anything and it would have been something major, who's going to get blamed?、Mm, yeah, the, very, very good point. So I think at that point, so much has changed in the. Pre nine eleven and post nine eleven world, that things that we used to think were totally ordinary all look differently.、Um, seeing suitcases sitting alone in an airport, or you just don't know anymore. And I, I would have never thought in a million years that there would be anything to be concerned about. So, just our awareness level, I think, is higher. Which, unfortunately, I think it has to be. Um, it's taken away our innocence a little bit, and we just all have to be very aware of our surroundings. And if that includes a can of Chef Boyardee, is it ravioli? Yeah, I believe so. Ravioli on wheels, then so be it. Better safe than sorry. What was like for like people who don't know? Like I don't know what was life like pre nine eleven. Like how would police respond to the situation pre nine eleven? I would say they probably would have checked it out as well. I think.、Um, If there was any concerns in your community, I think that was a valid point that they would check it out. I don't believe that they would have poo-pooed you or made you feel bad if that's something. I believe in pre nine eleven. Probably the person that was calling the police would have just walked over to it and kicked it and looked at it and said, "What the heck are these young kids up to?" Yeah, I don't think that they would have been as scared to、um, take it on themselves. Yeah, I think I was about what six. At the time of the attacks, and I think for many of my generation, that was the first big news story that I remember. Like that was like the first thing. Like if I thought, like I can't even remember a news story before then. And even though our lives, we live thousands of a thousand miles away from New York. Some people live thousands of miles away from New York. I wasn't directly affected by 9/11, but I think how the media has portrayed 9/11 and how our U.S. government has responded since 9/11, it's created this、um, collective trauma. Where I I didn't experience 9/11 the way some people are, but because of media, because of our government reaction, people still have the symptoms of someone who may be directly traumatized by 9/11. If that makes sense. But I think that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. Even though I didn't directly experience 9/11, I understand the effects of it, and I understand 
kind of where it put our country. And now, what, 18 years later, they've kind of created this fog of fear. Like before, with the ravioli thing, you would just kick it or be like, oh, what is this thing? But now, since there's this fog of fear in our world, uh, and specifically the U.S., it's like, oh, I have to call the cops and we have to clear a whole city block to kind of check out this thing that may be harmless, but also may not be harmless. With that, do you believe it's possible to move past the fear created by events like 9-11 or the recent bombings in Sri Lanka? Or do you believe living with some sort of fear is a normal occurrence in human existence? Well, just going to give you a little um, look back at my life. So during the 9-11 situation, my father was in a, he had a major heart attack, was in a coma in a hospital during that time. And the morning of 9-11 was the day that we had to, as a family, decide if he would be removed from life support. So I knew 9-11 was happening because we were in a waiting room, but 9-11 touched me differently than everyone else. So I knew it was occurring, but it, it didn't touch me because my whole existence was my dad was dying. Yeah, the date was important to you, but in a different right. way. Right. So it's been interesting to see the aftermath of 9-11 now that I don't have that stress and seeing how it's affected people and even at that point in time what was going on. So I sometimes feel like I'm in a bubble of 9-11 because I didn't get to experience it in the moment with everyone else in the country because I was dealing with my own grief and our family's grief. And so all the changes that have happened after the fact... I love the tributes. I love the history of it. I love when people remember. I love the stories from individuals and their families. I just am sad that a can of Chef Boyardee is, makes people scared or things sitting out make people scared or you find something laying somewhere and you're not sure is it a bomb or it's just garbage to pick up and throw away. So it's made the country more aware it's a sad thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing. It's just a sad thing. It's just something that we've had to deal with. And I see that it's not going to get any better. In the olden days, we could go and up to the gates to the airplane and say goodbye to our family members. And now things have changed so much that it's made travel a different whole experience than it used to be. It's made everyone look at everyone in different lights. You're um, trying to judge what's going on. And it's not all, all for the best, that's for sure. So it's a whole different world now. And it's interesting for me, being where I was a 9-11, to look back and see how it's all unfolded over the years. And we've gotten to this point where people are concerned when they find different things in the street. And this picture definitely could be a bomb situation. It's on wheels. It could be rolled in somewhere and I, I totally agree that this one was not a false alarm if the police just had to check it out. I think that's a very good point. And I talked about this in a previous episode with Annie Youngblood, where people are very reactive to extremes. Like I talked about how school shootings do not happen a lot, but when it happens, it's tragic. When um, a plane is hijacked or there's a bombing, they don't happen a lot, but when they do, it's very tragic. And I think I've always been someone who I very much hate the 24-hour news cycle. I think it's very detrimental to a human's psyche, the fact that, oh, what are the more popular things? The shootings, the robbings, the stabbings, the rape. And we get into the sense on we live with fear because that's what the media portrays to us. That's where, like when we talk about the U.S. government and 
the politics that are thrown out. It's always, we're not focusing on education. We're focusing on how to stop people coming in from our different areas of the world because they may potentially be a risk to our lives. I think as far as when it goes to just this story in general, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of sad to think that people have to live in a state of constant, not constant fear, but having fear in their life and leading a life with a portion of that being led by fear. Because I do think humans are generally fearful creatures, because that's just the basis of survival. Like, if you're out there in the woods, you're going to be fearful of the things around you, so you build a shelter to be safer, but you're still fearful that maybe that will break into that shelter, so you get a weapon or something like that. So I think it's okay to have some sort of fear in your life, but I don't think this recent, or not even recent, this, you know, past 20 years of heightened fear is yeah not going to be be very interesting i think what i want to get to is i think it'll be very interesting to see how in the future people are raising kids and raising different generations having lived in an era of fear where fear led a lot of our daily lives where a chef boy or d can in the middle of the street the first thing we think of is a bomb and not a silly prank or even going to pranks like even we got to a point where like school pranks people automatically think the worst when maybe it's just a light-hearted prank but because of the fear we live in we're living in a place and time where we're in the safest period throughout history but we're the most fearful which is kind of an interesting way of looking at the world well as we're talking about being parents and when you and josh were going up our biggest fear was that you'd be stolen out of our yard or you'd be you'd be stolen or picked up now our biggest fear is that are my kids going to get shot in school? Are my kids, you know, are they going to be at the mall? And the, is the whole mall going to be blown up? So our fears back in the day were, they were big fears for us. But that was our big fear, that you children would be taken. And that was the biggest thing that we had to worry about. I mean, there were other fears, of course. But now the fears are, will our children be harmed? Will we be able to help our children even if there's a school shooting? Would I been, have been able to get there to help? No, it's it's just something that happens. So I think fear, this constant fear, I think just, just wear, it wears me out, this whole society that we're living in. I'm just, fear wears you out. I don't know how there are other words to say that. It just makes you, you're always on alert. And that just is, sucks the life out of you. It's not good for your health. And no. Not good for... and so I can't even imagine parents these days of having to worry about all the things that I worried about as a parent with all these new fears and new situations that are occurring in our world on a pretty much daily basis. And as you said, the news will tell you about those situations around the clock and over and over. And it's it's a different world than it used to be, that's for sure. In your opinion, what is kind of ways we can make a more positive outlook on these fears and on the potential future of growing generations. I think we just have to get back to the basic family values and family functions and stay together as a family because if those things do happen, you have a back back support. You have people that believe in you and if God is your way, have that support in your life as well. These days that there is as much, um, I think everyone believes they're on their own. And I think it's more important to bond back as a family unit, a community, a neighborhood even. And I think some of those fears would be, they're there. They're always going to be there. But I think that if if it does happen in to you, which everyone always thinks it's never going to happen to me, but sometimes it does, that you'd be able to handle it better because you're going right back to your basics, whether it's your faith, just your family 
being together. I think, yeah, I lost the thought on that one. Oh, that was very good. And I think the very interesting thing to me and kind of close the story out as I was doing research on post 9-11 is after 9-11, the U.S. was the closest it's ever been. Like as far as like families were very family oriented and all those things you just described. So it's, so it's like, how do we recreate the positive effects of a disaster without actually having the disaster. And even to have to say that question seems insane, but it's like, is that the only way we can get to that point? Which is kind of interesting. Uh, but to end the story on a little lighter note, we do have a quote from the commanding officer to his unit before shutting down the street. Ravioli, ravioli, shut down the streetioli. Thank you, I'll be here all night. Oh my goodness. All right, Mom, are you ready to jump into our last news story of the day? I am. This is from SciPost.org. Parents more uncomfortable with gender nonconforming behaviors in boys. A study published in the journal Psychology of Sexual Orientation and Gender Diversity reveals that parents are more comfortable with their daughters partaking in gender nonconforming behaviors than their sons and attempt to change their son's behavior much more frequently. The study was done by researchers in hopes of educating parents on the benefits of a affirming their child's behavior. Past studies have shown that children who do not conform to the boy-girl societal norms often face negative feedback from friends and family. Thus, their psychological health may be adversely affected as, as they are for a greater risk for symptoms of depression, distress, and adult suicide compared to their gender-conforming peers. The study consisted of an online survey completed by 151 mothers and 85 fathers living in Salt Lake City, Utah, who reported to have 156 children between the ages of 3 to 13. The study found both mothers and fathers are equally likely to try and change their son's behavior. The researchers were quite befundled by this because they previously believed a father would be more willing to do so because of the societal norms placed upon men. Or researchers believe that many parents will intervene in the lives of their children because they see it as protecting them from how the public may view such behavior. And by redirecting their child to societal norms, it is doing more harm or it is doing more good than harm. In a surprising discovery, researchers found parents are more acceptable and comfortable with gender non-conforming behaviors when their child participates in them more frequently, meaning parents who hold less psychological control over their children tend to develop better understanding of their children's way of life. And just to be clear to the listeners, with any studies done, there's obviously a ton of room for bias. So for my international listeners who may be unaware, Salt Lake City, Utah is predominantly Mormon, which is a community that adheres to a much more traditional way of life. And obviously the sample size of, I think, 156 kids isn't the biggest. And then you have to factor in how the study might affect or might be changed on surveying people from different societal and economic backgrounds, um, you know, race, sex, gender, whatever. But what it does and what the survey mentioned is it gives some insight into the psychological effects a parent might have on their children who may or may not display gender non-conforming behaviors, which I personally believe as we become more accepting of this type of behavior is incredibly important to creating safe environments. Mom, similar to the question from the previous story, having been a parent for coming on about 27 years now. 28 years, actually. 28 years? Josh is going to be 28. Or he's coming on to 28. Coming on to 28 years. He's whatever. <laughs> How has parenting changed with society becoming more and more accepting of gender nonconformity, sexual preferences, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Well, it's interesting with the story because there was always tomboys. That was the girls that, of course, acted more like boys and played outside and climbed trees. And um, there was no term for boys. I don't think that acted differently. I don't know what differently meant. Cause I mean, growing up, it was gay. You were called gay if yeah. you were a man who enjoyed girly things. But like, I'm trying to figure out if there was a term that would have been equal to like the tomboy. There wasn't like a boy 
I don't know. Well, at least I know and growing is. up for me and growing up just in the sense of people talking, it was the tomboy. You're either, if you're a girl and you're boyish, you're a tomboy. But if you're a boy and you're girlish, you were considered, you were called gay. And not in like the way we see gay now, but in like a, oh, girly gay type of way. Yeah. I only have two sisters. So when I had you two boys, I knew nothing about boys. I didn't know anything. But it's interesting just the different things that like you would play with your toys in the bathtub and you would know that what sound a bolt would make and no one ever taught taught you that how did you know that so I don't know if that's just all children knew that or if just because you're a boy or did I influence you on in some way I don't know but I really didn't know anything about boys so I didn't have any set standards I guess that I would do but of course when you received all your baby gifts or birthday gifts there was a lot of boy centered presents um, bats and balls and trucks and cars and but your brother's gonna hate me for saying this but when he was born I really would have I mean I was interested in I thought it was gonna have a girl so I did get a, a cute little girl's outfit, and I did dress your brother up in the cute little girl oh, outfit. Oh, man, that is everything I needed. I know. That's all I need for my birthday. I know. There's no <laughs> pictures because it wasn't as easy to do pictures back then. So I did not take a picture, and I did not tell your father, of course, and I just did it. I just like I just wanted to see what I would have had if I would have had a little girl. And then when I had you and knew I wasn't going to have any more children— I dressed you up too. I'm sorry to say that, but well, it's interesting to even see like my response to that. Like, I just think that's funny. But if it was like a girl, you dressed up as like a boy, I'd be like, oh, that's cute and interesting. But it's even interesting to see. I feel like I'm a very open person and I'm very accepting of whoever you want to be. But even like that situation, I was like, oh, that's really funny. So I think that's kind of interesting. I think as far as how it's changed, I think people are a lot more accepting now because I think people, we have a bigger connection to the world, obviously, through social media. So there's different, like now you're getting parenting styles from halfway across the world. And you're like, oh, that's kind of a good way to look at it. So there's all these new different ways of being a parent now that the world feels more open and not so, not like it was closed off before, but I mean... You can probably speak from this, but it probably seemed like it was a lot smaller. The world was a lot smaller before the internet and like social media and all of that stuff. So you were kind of just learning from what your parents taught you. And I mean, they were learning from their parents. So you have all these, I mean, back in the day, a boy went to make the bacon and girls clean the house. So as you went down through the generations, that was what was taught and people didn't know any better because that was just the environment you were built into. And then we got to the point where like we separated colors like a boy is blue a girl is pink and then you talked about like the presence and like from birth you're saying hey you're a boy or you're a girl and it's kind of interesting to see how that's changing now where people are like well whatever you can be you know whatever you want to be that's totally fine i'm someone who you know believes that as far as the biology there's two biologies, but whatever you feel, you can be whatever you want. Maybe if you were born a boy and want to be a girl, that's totally fine. Biology's sake, you're a boy and you're a girl, but if you want to change that around and be a boy to a girl, that's totally fine. I mean, who am I to say that you can't do that? I'm just some guy in my basement talking to my mom. But I think it's interesting to see how, just from what I've noticed, and my friends starting to have kids, is we're moving away more from getting boy toys for a boy or getting boy colors for a boy where it's more just a general hey here's you're having a baby here's some baby gifts that any baby can use i think it goes back to the basic the best gift a parent can get 
from their child is just to know that they're happy. And at that point, it doesn't matter what sex they identify with. It, it matters that they're happy with whatever they've chosen. And so that, to just put it in a nutshell, is as a parent, you just want your children to find themselves, to be happy with who they become, and whoever that may be is fine. So I think going back, I think there's still a lot of the boys are blue, girls are pink. I happen to work in a children's hospital and I I see it. I see the little girls come in with the cute little headbands and the and that's just celebrating who they are. Um, but I also deal with some families that their children are very young and they're having they want to identify as an opposite sex and it's becoming younger and younger. And that's fine too. However, whatever makes them happy makes me happy. So things have changed, but they still are the same. And as you mentioned, us parents, we only know what we know. And there's, like I said, there's no instruction book. You know what you know. So I just assume that you guys would like to play baseball. And I didn't think to put you in dancing classes or I didn't, that wasn't where your interests were. I guess I was more in tune of what you were interested in and pushed for that. Although I know you guys wanted to play hockey and football, but I was too afraid you'd get hurt. So no football or hockey for you boys. But if you would have came home and said, I want to take a ballet class, I would have been, that's fine. That would have been totally fine. So it just, it didn't present itself as much, I believe, when you were little. I think the different set of rules now, maybe a different set of eyes. As you say, the world has opened up so much that you can be whoever you want to be and whatever sex or connotation of whatever that means to you is totally fine these days. And it makes sense as a parent when you have, say you have a boy and it's like, oh, that's a penis. And kids don't talk until what, they're like two or three. So for what? when do kids start talking? Like about, they say, say mom and dada probably before a year. Well, like what about like having like complex thoughts okay. and conversations? Okay. And so for those like first few years of a child's life, you're like, my kid has a penis or my kid has a vagina. I'm going to label them a boy or a girl based on that biology. And then, because you don't know, maybe your son doesn't identify with being a male so for those first few years you're being like hey you're a boy because you don't have complex thoughts yet you have a penis just from the biology sake of it you're a male so I'm gonna have you grow up as a male and you're like kind of just saying hey here's all these male things around you kind of that you don't even think about like oh you know putting a baseball bat in his hand you're like this is just what males are supposed to like or dressing girls and babies, girls, and dresses or stuff like that. So you're kind of like influencing the beginning of their lives, but in a point where you don't even really think about it. And you don't even know if it will be potentially negative because that's just, how else would you know? Like a baby can't say, hey, I'm a guy, but I feel like a girl. So you won't know until later in life. So it's like, I don't think parents should be really ostracized for having a heavy forward male or female baby shower or something like that because it's simply you want to be more accepting but also it's like you don't know until your kid knows that's true and then i want to move into kind of this question why do you think the as the fact as girls have been more accepting accepted dressed as boys than boys have as girls because you think about like you think about all these famous women throughout history that Mulan, for example, she faked being a boy and then that was everyone is like, oh, that's awesome. But then when you hear about in history, 
boys dressing like girls, you're like, oh, what a weirdo. Even in like the early 2000s when we were going to school, like girls had to wear skirts and dresses. And now that's not the case anymore. So do you like why do you think it's been such a quick change for girls rather than boys? I just think the opportunities have changed because, as you say, if if girls were expected to wear dresses and skirts, they couldn't do a lot of activities. They just couldn't do daily things. So jeans came into lives or pants. I don't know if I'd call jeans and pants technically male items, but I think it just was easier for women to do the things they had to do. Girls or women do the things they had to do in society. So I'm not sure that men dressing feminine or in dresses, as you said, back in the day, we'd probably go, either a little different. But I just don't think the freedom was there. They probably did it behind closed doors, which was, we just didn't see that as much. So I think it's easier for society to accept girls being more masculine just because of the tomboy connotation all through history. Um, As we mentioned, we can't even come up with the term that was compatible to a boy being more girlish or girl acting. I think it really comes down to, once again, everyone knows I'm not too big a fan of the media, um, but people not realizing the effect media has on our way of life. Um, According to a recent Nielsen Total Audience report, the average American adult spends over 11 hours per day interacting with some sort of media. Like that's insane that almost half of your day is somehow affected by somebody, what somebody else is creating. I mean, listen to this podcast, do that. But I think that people just don't realize how much of their life is affected by these things. So it's like very reasonable to say much of our culture and much of our social norms have been created by the media. And obviously, when people like make movies and TV shows, it's based off of real life. But it's kind of like an interweaving kind of situation where as far as men in media, we've always had to be the man's man. We can't show our feelings. We always have to be the person who takes care of everyone, where women have had the opportunity to have roles where they have female energy and they can be, you know, the typical female in quotations there. And also roles where they have like male energy, like Sigourney Weaver and Alien. Like that was a very male energy dominated role. And energy, the male energy, not like she played a man's role, but it was a very leading role is a very dominant role and i just don't think there's been when there are roles for men in media that has female energy quotation marks on all those again it's usually seen as the gay character or the very feminine character and not up to society's norms on this character is a normal person we had noah kasi on a few episodes ago where he talked about sexuality should be like the fourth most important thing about someone and i think that's incredibly true when it comes to having more female energy roles for men it shouldn't be like if you're going to play that role you shouldn't have to be gay or you shouldn't have to be some different thing it should just be hey some guy needs to be saved like growing up i would love to see roles like that where the girl is always saving the guy and i think nowadays we're getting a lot more of those roles but growing up i mean they were far and far between but yeah the media growing up didn't always allow me the opportunity to express like a broader sexuality in terms of my behavior but then to end this i want to ask you this you are now a grandmother as you had mentioned hopefully one day you'll be a great grandmother Uh, who knows how science and technology will keep you along for uh having experienced a very changing society during your most developed years what advice do you have for new or expecting parents to help foster a positive environment for their children 
regardless of sex, race, sexuality, et cetera, et cetera. Well, once again, it goes back to the basic across the board. I believe every parent wants their child to be happy, regardless of what their sexual gender or any part of their lifestyle. So learn from your child. They'll tell you exactly who they want to be. You just have to foster that and encourage that. And it's all about letting them be who they want and just making sure that they're happy or as much as you can solve being happy without them taking you for a ride, I guess. There it is. Well, Mom, thank you for taking the time to share your perspective about some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a fun and meaningful way. I'm very glad to call you my mother. I'm very appreciative of what you allowed me and Josh to be as men and as people in general. I know growing up wasn't always sunshine and roses, but I very much, and I sure Josh would say the same thing, but I very much appreciate you working your butt off to provide us a life where we could be the people we needed to be. And for that, and I'm sure Josh would say the same same thing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, on with the Mother's Day fast approaching, following the rest of this episode and you being a mother yourself, what are some good Mother's Day gifts that a mother would love to have? Chocolate is always really, really good. I probably don't need any more bath products because I could be clean for the next 20 years with all the wonderful things I've received in the past. I appreciate them, but don't need them. Actually, the number one thing now that I, it's so obvious, is just spend time with my kids, that they'd have time to spend with me, hint, 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 on that day, or if not on that day, on a day around that, just go to dinner, talk, time. That's it time. We don't need gifts anymore. At my age, I don't need any gifts. I just want time with my family. Very good point. Anyways, thank you all for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by my mother, where we take the strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world and just try out a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. Once again, if you would like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story, or if you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at Water Cooler Talk pod at gmail.com or hit us up on facebook at water cooler talk podcast mom around here it is tradition for the guests to close out the show you can do so in any manner you think is appropriate if you want to sing a song if you want to give some advice or if you want to tell a story or any number of other things the floor is yours well i don't have anything prepared for to sing a song i do like to hum along the things but i'm gonna save you guys from that today but I guess since it's going to be Mother's Day and it's Adam's birthday tomorrow. We should... We're recording this May 4th, by the way. Yes, we are recording it the day before Adam's birthday. Maybe a little story about Adam growing up. Oh. Would you like that? Sure, hit it. Let's see. What can I think of? So a quick little story about Adam, if you've ever wondered how he got that cute little scar on his nose. One day he's taking a bath, playing with his little toys. Making some boat sounds. Totally. I didn't know how where boats came from. There you go. Um, his brother Josh slammed the door hard enough to make the vent fall out of the wall onto his cute little nose. When the screaming started, I came into the bathroom as you know, a few drops of blood in water makes it look like a blood bath, so I thought Adam was dying. Figured out quickly that it was just a cut on his nose and that it needed attention. Well, there was a screw in the nose. That there was, the yeah, nose. there was a, the screw from the vent did hit you in the nose. I will give you that. So bundled up Adam, get him in the car. 
one small thing. We had to make a little detour because my mortgage payment was due. And back then we couldn't pay it online or I had to physically go to the bank. So as I'm sitting in the drive through, I was telling the teller to please hurry up because I had to take my son to the emergency room for stitches. So Adam received his first stitches that day. And I believe he was five years old because there was five stitches. Both of my boys only had stitches once and Josh was six. He got six stitches and you were five or four. I can't remember. It's all a blur now. It seems like I I remember these ages. Uh, So I felt at the time that I was justified in holding my poor son's bleeding nose. But looking back, it probably wasn't the best parenting decision that I've ever made in my life. But it made you who the man you are today. So yeah, I'm terrified of bathrooms. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And you have a cute little scar on your nose. I mean, that's probably my worst injury. So that's yeah. a positive thing. I've never broken a bone. I do have like a messed up shoulder from baseball, but besides injuries, that was my worst injury. So I think you did pretty good as a parent. For having two boys, I've only done two emergency room visits and they were both for stitches, minor stitches. So one for you, one for Josh, yeah, and that was it. We've probably taken our dogs to the emergency room more than we have us. Very much more than you, you boys. All right, so. Mom, I very much appreciate you coming on this Mother's Day episode. You did excellent. You freaking gave some amazing advice that I think everyone can take home and consume, eat. I don't know. People don't eat advice. I don't know how you consume advice just into your head straight off. Anyways, guys, we're going back to a new episode every other day because we have some exciting new shows coming soon. So get excited about that. But uh, until then, we'll be back in two Thursdays from now. So until then, peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not, because they're real.